you're listening to Embrace the Imbalance, the podcast. I'm your host, Tina McIntosh, and I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where we sit down and talk with all kinds of people, and they share lessons learned. Whether you're a teenager trying to find your way, a young adult who's figured out a few things, or a full-on adult who is smart enough to know that you still have a lot to learn, you're in the right place. So sit back and relax, because we're about to get started. We're going to dive right in today because we are in part two with Janice Fleming, who, if you've not heard part one, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. Uh, You know, Janice and I got to have a lovely conversation about her uncle Todd and her relationship with him. And we learned that she is not only a, a pageant queen and studying for her doctorate right now, but she is also charismatic and beautiful and full of life lessons. So Janice Fleming, welcome back to Embrace the Imbalance, the podcast. All right, so let's let's pick up where we left off. We were talking about your Uncle Todd and relationship with him, and we covered a lot of ground, but what we didn't get to cover was his last couple of weeks on this earth. And I know that is, um, uh, you know, makes us both take a deep breath um, because he was so wonderfully special. But can you, can you talk about those last couple of weeks with him? Sure. Gosh. Um the last day with my uncle, I was actually working on a personal statement. I was downstairs working on a personal statement. His room is upstairs. And about midnight, he came down the stairs. I think he was sneaking food. (laughs) And he came down the stairs. And when he saw me, he was like, like, okay, okay. And then like, he turned around and went back upstairs. And I was trying to say like, no, Uncle Todd, you know, come down, whatever you want, it's fine. And that was uh, a cute moment because I had a feeling I knew what he was doing and he got caught. <laughs> um, but that was, that's actually my last memory of him living. Uh, so it, it's that next morning I woke up and opened my door and, you know, there he was. And um, he was literally outside your door. Outside my door. So it, it's, I don't know if he was trying to get to me and um, we believe he had a brain aneurysm. Um, and so it may have happened so fast that, you know, I, I don't know if he was trying to get to me or what. And I remember getting that phone call at Joy's house where I work and, you know, where he attended as a guest at our adult day service. I remember getting that phone call that, that he had passed and feeling so selfishly sad and also so happy that he got to be, you know, free of that body. And, um, and just thinking about you, because, you know, not even 30 and you have changed your entire life to care for your uncle and your life then shifted back to being about you. I know that for you, Janice, ever since I've known you, uh, God, your love for God has been obvious. How did your, how did your world change once Todd was gone and with your faith and did anything shift in mold after that time? A lot shifted um, and, and mostly I guess I had peace. At first I felt really selfish because one of the things that I was most worried about, about applying to, you know, go back to school and pursue a PhD was the schools I'm applying for is in Chicago. How are we going to do that? I was worried. I felt selfish that I was applying to school. And so I almost felt, um, I don't want to say relieved because I, I was torn, but I felt like maybe God was saying, it's okay. I'm going to give you, a, you know, I'm going to give you a, a, a pause um, and I will relieve you of this duty that you're doing in full love. And it's kind of awkward to talk about because I don't want to, I, I don't want it to sound like 
God gave me a break because I didn't want a break. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. But I do believe that um, even as specific as the last time I saw him, I was working on my personal statement. I think even that it almost felt like God was saying, thank you. I got it from here. Um, I got it from here. And, and from that moment, it was very difficult, but it made my transition much more smooth. And even like my transition to Chicago was not like cake and ice cream. Uh, <laughs> and so if I had someone that I was caring for, I would have had to make very different decisions. Um, but it, it was much more smooth because it was just me. And I'm grateful for that. It's as odd as that sounds, um, but I, I am. But I don't think it needs to sound odd. I mean, like the nugget I'm getting from what you said, there are a lot of things, but the, you know, you, so you use the word relief and and you used it with, you know, um, we're recording this on Zoom. I can see your face. I can see the anguish when you said relief. You were kind of like, ah, embarrassment. And I, But I think that's a true word that we all need to understand is real and it's okay. I mean, it doesn't mean that you cared for or loved or provided any less for your Uncle Todd while he was alive. And it's okay to feel relief when someone you love is gone. And I think in our culture, we just don't we don't allow ourselves to feel that instead we bring the word guilt in mm-hmm. and we make ourselves feel guilt. And I don't think that comes from God. I think you're exactly right. When you say God gifted you with this wonderful, beautiful memory. I love that you said, you know, Hey, Janice, I got it from here coming from God. Like, I think it's beautiful. So leads me into some questions that I have for you there. Sure. I don't know about your confidence, you know, coming from knowing God's love for you and, if it comes from places and experiences, I know that you have a friend named Chris McBride who wrote a book called Healing in Hindsight. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a letter to your younger self that I think had to be so cathartic to write. And what were the high points of that letter? And does that shine a light on any of the confidence you have in your life? You're knowing that, that God loves you. For, for sure. Um, I think it was cathartic to write. And I think there had been maybe two or three years after I wrote it before it was published. And then when I received a copy of it, I read it again and I was like, whoa, I need to remember this. Um, but one of the, the most important things that I wrote in there was to be yourself and love yourself fully. And that like really stuck with me. I think there are moments in my life where I don't, I, I'm not as confident or I'm not as bold in my decisions, or maybe I appear bold, but inside I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But ultimately I know I, I have this inner peace in what I am doing. So I know that it is the right thing. And then another, another big point that I wrote was to not be afraid to shine. Um, there's a scripture that says like, you are the light of the world. Um, don't be afraid to shine. Lights weren't created to be hidden in a bushel. They were created to illuminate, to light things up. And so what, you know, we sing songs about it. I think that's important for us to hear is we were created to shine. To shine. And there have been so many uh, instances in my life where I felt like I was shining, but the you know, and there's a, a quote that talks about, you know, our, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate, blah, blah, blah. And it talks about when we shine, it allows others permission to do the same. But in my experience, there were times where I would shine and I would see the negative impact on other people. Like when I won something and other people didn't win it, they were frustrated, they were sad. And it made me feel like, oh my goodness, like 
I feel bad that I won or I feel bad that I was granted this opportunity or I feel bad. And the older I get, the more I am able to go back and say, no, like that was for you. Other things were for them. And there are people that are um, specific people that I know that um, did not shine in those moments, maybe when I did, but now their lives are amazing and their lives are great because they were built and created to shine in other ways. But for those moments, that was for me. Um, Their design was different. I mean, and I think one of the faults that we have as humans and maybe as women, if I can be as bold to say that, I know that won't make some people happy, but it's truth. I mean, in my experience, I think as women, sometimes what we do is if I am wanting to shine about something or I'm really excited about something and I call you and you're having a down day, I dim my light and I meet you where you are. But then what that does is it creates this almost cyclone of this is how our relationship becomes for a while is that we dim to each other instead of shining that light. And years ago, I got this little oh art piece that I, hangs in my bathroom and it's, it just says uh, no dimming necessary. Hmm. Boy, I wish I could blow that up and make it bigger. Remember it all the time and share all, with all the people because we're not designed to be dim. Exactly. The book again is is called um, Healing in Hindsight and it's by Chris McBride. You're hearing the voice of Janice Fleming. We are in part two. I, I know um, your faith and your experiences and everything for any of us come back to play in our life. Sometimes we just don't see it. Unfortunately for you, it's been pretty clear. You received a life-altering diagnosis not too long ago, if I'm correct. How long ago did you receive this diagnosis and what is it? And then we'll talk a little bit more. Sure. November 20th of 2017. So literally just a few months after I moved from Indianapolis to Chicago on my own, away from most of my friends and family. And uh, I was beginning a graduate program. I was struggling in it, to be completely honest. (laughs) And um, I noticed tingling in my fingers I started to go to you know, my physician and then one specialist after another until I got to a neurologist and the neurologist said, you know, I'm not sure, but let's just get you an MRI. The, the neurologist let me know, you know, I'm going to have to diagnose you with multiple sclerosis, um, which is MS, and it's an autoimmune disease. Um, it affects a lot of people, but a lot of people differently. Um, there's currently no cure. There are only medications that uh, prevent progression. And so that was, uh, it was heavy hitting. I wasn't really sure how to respond to that. And then um, I had a few episodes in the, the, the next few months with it that made it really difficult. Um, I actually was in a clinical trial for a medication and I had an adverse effect. Uh, I broke out all over. I was in the hospital. It was ugly. Um, granted, I'm saying this with a smile because even though that was my experience, my MS journey has still been a much easier walk than so many others. So I, when I say this, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't want to speak lightly about it, but that, that's been my experience. How has, how has knowing a diagnosis like MS affected your life from a mindset perspective? Because I think, you know, when we don't have a diagnosis, whatever it is, we're wondering, 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 curious, curious, waiting, waiting, testing, waiting, you know, all the things, praying, crying, talking, all the things we do. Then we get a diagnosis and oh crap, we got a diagnosis. Like what did you do with it after that? And how has it affected you mentally? For a while it was okay, great. I know 
I know what to do and I'm going to do whatever I can to prevent this from, you know, progressing any further. I have, my father has two sisters that have been diagnosed with MS as well. And so um, I've seen the impact of MS on a person's life and how it can alter a person's life dramatically. And so I was worried, but I also was like, I've got to get this together. You know, I really need to start getting on this medication. But I'll say that shifted shortly after to almost a defeatist mindset. So when I would get tired before being diagnosed, if I get tired, but I have a paper due, I'm like, no, get up, push through, you got to do it. But then I started kind of having this defeatist uh, mindset that, you know, I bet I'm just going to go to sleep or I don't want to think about how I feel or, oh, my, you know, I'm feeling this symptom. And I, I kind of had a very down mindset. I remember my sister telling me, Janice, you should stop saying I have MS. You should start saying I have been diagnosed with it. Because when you say you have it, you are accepting it. But when you say you've been diagnosed with it, that's a different mindset. I kind of blew her off, to be completely honest. And I just was like, well, but I have it. So whatever, you know. <laughs> and so I continued to behave and uh, think as I was until uh, one July day. And at that point, I was on a different medication. I felt in my spirit when I was about to take the medication. It was, this was a Sunday morning. I felt in my spirit. Every time you take that medication, you are acknowledging and just accepting that you have a disease. And I was like... Okay, <laughs> so what do I do? <laughs> I decided, okay, today I'm not going to take it. We'll see how I feel tomorrow. But today I'm not going to take this medication. And literally an hour later, um, I'm at church with my mother and um, the pastor begins to talk about healing. And I, I started to cry because I'm like, well, what if what if I'm, what if God is doing something cool? And then I stopped because I was like, Janice, snap out of it. He could be talking about emotional healing, psychological healing, like all sorts of different healing. And literally it's almost five seconds after I had that negative thought, the pastor on the microphone said, make no mistake, I am talking about physical healing. So of course, waterworks happen. Uh, <laughs> and Uh, Like even my mother felt, she felt a nudge in her spirit too. She was like, I feel like I could literally see your spine being healed and put back together. And so from that day forward, I have not taken the medication. I do take vitamin D. Um, I do still experience some symptoms, but um, I've spoken with my neurologist. He's uh, very worried about me. And and a lot of people worry about me, even people who, you know, have very strong faith and are believers, because it sounds crazy, like, do what the doctor said, like, God gave these people their license and their knowledge, you should do what they say. Um, And ordinarily, I wholeheartedly agree. But this was one uh, situation where I felt very strongly. I I think you you mentioned a defeatist mindset. And, and that is a great lesson for people to learn, because we do it with so many things. You know, we become either, um, you can say victim mentality, there's the defeatist mindset. I mean, but I, I think that there is a power that comes from not giving in to things all the time. And sometimes you have to, right? If you desperately need a nap, you give into it, but yeah. you need to be defeated by your exhaustion. And, and I'm a big fan of you either do something about it, whatever it is, or you stop talking about it, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, weight gain or self-awareness or a relationship or a job, like do something about it. 
or stop talking about it. I heard that you recently had a deep conversation, or as you put it, a deep thought and confusion about two women that you love deeply. Tell us about that. (laughs) Yes. Um, I guess I can, I can speak specifically. I was going to talk about them more vaguely and just their experience, but I think I can be specific. There are two women that I respect very deeply and for drastically different reasons. The first is my grandmother. Um, my grandmother, and this is, I'm speaking specifically of my, my dad's mom. And she and my grandfather were married for over 60 years. Um, they had six children together and she is the reason my family has a core center. She is the, like, she's the base. She's the reason we, you know, kiss and make up. She's the reason we, you know, get over ourselves. She's the reason her love keeps us going and the way that she's loved us all individually. And when I think back about what family is and what marriage looks like or could look like, I have that as my strongest example because she chose to love and endure no matter what. And for that, I I deeply appreciate her example. She recently passed, but I deeply appreciate her example, her love in her marriage and the fact that she chose to be selfless. And so for that reason, I strongly admire her. And on the flip side, mom had a very different experience. (laughs) And I admire my mom just as much before a completely different reason. So my parents are divorced. And zero through 12, uh, my parents were married. So almost 15 years of marriage. I was about 12 years old when they got divorced. And I was so proud of my mom. (laughs) And it sounds crazy um, because I just like was praising my grandmother for doing the opposite of what my mother chose to do. My mother chose to leave a situation that was not benefiting her. I'm so proud of her because she said, you know what? I have more life to live and and this experience is not serving me. And so I am going to walk out. And my mom is very, a very strong believer. She, when she walked into marriage, she didn't consider divorce as an option. And so for her to at some point say, I know what the Bible says, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, till death do we part, but she made a decision that was for her. And I am so proud of her seeing her example gives me the strength to, um, in, in situations, not just in like romantic relationships, but in any relationship to learn to speak up for myself, to learn to say, no, this is not, that's not right. Or, you know, her example has given me that courage and that strength to be able to do that. Now it's weird because it's like, I deeply admire two women for doing very different things. And it's taught me a lot about life and living. One, that everyone's story is different. Um, Everyone's life experience is different. What they are supposed to teach the world and those around them might look different. And that's okay. It also has helped me not to judge because you have to do what works for you. Um, You have to be guided by your soul and make decisions that are in your ultimate best interest. And it's all about perspective, right? Everybody has a different perspective. And as you said to me, the, you know, the conclusion you drew that life is complicated and that people are doing what's best for them. And I would add that they're simply doing their best. People are quick to criticize other people, but we have limited information. We have one perspective and we have no idea what the complications are or what is being placed on their heart. So I I totally understand that. Do you think, um, here's a big question for you, because I know you admire 
both of them. And I also, Janice, think sometimes, oftentimes we put an or in there. Like you have to love and respect your grandmother or your mother and their opposite ends of the spectrum. And I really implore us to take the word or out and put in the word and, Mm -hmm. because you can love your grandmother for her choices and your mother, which is what, you know, what you do. Yes. One thing you mentioned is that often we are quick to criticize people and you're like, I know you didn't do that, but to be honest, I have both of them. I like look back and I'm like, man, why didn't she do this differently? Or why couldn't this have happened? Or why didn't she do like this? And this could have been this way if this happened. So I can't sit here and act like I've just been like having glowing reviews of them. Um, But <laughs> yes. It's, it's good to know, Janice, it is good to know that you're human. <laughs> I mean, it really is because you're right. We, we do all, you know, we all do that, whether we admit it or not, I, I think. So here's a, a question for you. And then I know our time is wrapping up and I can't believe it. Um, do you feel like you give yourself that same room, that same mercy to make your choices? Not at all. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting there. And I think part of it is I'm trying to think first um, like, and make sure that the decisions that I make are not just impulsive decisions. Every day isn't perfect. <laughs> um, what I also do is I am unafraid to go back and apologize. If I've said or done something that's wrong, I have absolutely no problem saying that I'm sorry, even if I believe that person has done some wrong as well. Ooh, I have a hard time with that one. I'm the first one to say I'm sorry, but if I feel like you've done something wrong, I'll say I'm sorry. And then I'm like, I wait. I'm just waiting. Tap, tap, tap for you to apologize. I just, I think I'm learning how not to need their apology back. Um, and sometimes that means making different decisions for myself. So that might mean more distance. Janice, I have to tell you, I, you know, I thought I knew you before, but again, I knew one perspective of you and I'm, I'm really happy. Like, to have this time with you and to call you my friend. And I just, I appreciate you being here on Embracing Balance and I appreciate who you are and I can't wait to continue to follow you. So I I love you. I love you too. Thank you. That does it for this episode of Embracing Balance. You know, we'd love to hear what lessons you've learned in your life. Maybe it's something you've said a thousand times or maybe, just maybe, it's something you've never shared with anybody. But it might be time. There might be someone listening who needs to hear it. So you can... Contact us on social media at Embrace the Imbalance, or you can email me directly. Again, I'm Tina at embracetheimbalance at gmail.com. 